It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor, we bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Well, happy Aloha Friday. Thanks for tuning in here to Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalei Joined once again, back from vacation, <laughs> is Yanji Denise. Thanks for tuning in here on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This morning, we head back to the Hawaii State Capitol. That's right. We've got a lot to talk about with our guests this morning. Joining us live from the fifth floor is Governor Josh Green. Thank you so much for being here, Governor. Hey, great to see you guys. Welcome back. Um, thank you so much. Well, we want to dive right into the budget. Dan Nicasso at the Honolulu Star Advertiser has done an excellent job of outlining some of the cuts that uh, were made and some of the, the things that you're doing with that $200 million that the legislature uh, gave to you to have some discretion over those funds. But let's talk uh, on a broad scale. What was the hardest thing for you to cut uh, when you looked at those line item vetoes? Uh, none of it was hard to cut because I did have some flexibility to make sure we filled in hot spots like funding for education. The reason I say it wasn't hard to cut was because a lot of the monies just really could not be expended in the year that this budget would cover. Uh, too fast, the monies can't be dispersed that quickly. And so people aren't going to feel those cuts almost at all because we already have money available for the projects that are proposed. Uh, the larger cuts that you see to cover the $1.1 billion that had to be cut to balance the budget and get us straight were things like instead of putting a full billion dollars into the rainy day fund, we're putting $500 million. Honestly, no one's going to be able to tell the difference at all. This will take us from our current base of $1 billion in the rainy day fund to $1.5 billion, 15% uh, of our operating budget, a huge amount of money in case, God forbid, we were ever hit with a bad hurricane or another disaster. So that was one piece. I did make a, an executive decision to not fund the tech park, as it's been described, because we didn't have enough details Going forward, this project could cost $400, $500 million over time. It's not that we don't need these services. We do. We need to help Haima. We need to provide some support against cyber terrorism and other, you know, just other kind of needs for security. But we have to do it sensibly with complete understanding of what our costs are going to be long term. We didn't have that. So we can pause there and not be really affecting any of our people. That's another thing that was not difficult to do. There was $170 million that was set aside for, for teacher housing. Well, believe me, we need teacher housing. So I'm going to make sure that we have $50 million just next year. There isn't a plan yet. Although Michelle Kudani, Senator, has some good ideas about doing something over, I believe, in Mililani. But spending $50 million next year is going to be no easy feat on that project. So what I'm doing is I'm doing something that is rare, which is I'm doing it honestly, transparently, and in real time for our people in our state. I'm making these cuts now instead of delaying for two years and leaving uncertainty. For our viewers, what that means is a lot of times a governor would let a budget go through and then decide a year from now whether they were going to release that money to this district or that district or this program or that program. I was just being straight, saying we can't spend that money. Let's balance the budget, keep our bond rating very good so our debt is low, so our interest rates are low. And then next year, we are re when we see how much money we have, the legislature can come back with priorities again, as can we. 
let me give you a little visual though. This is um, something that I shared with people and take a look at that, screenshot that guys if you can out there. What it shows is that we went from in March, a number that gave us about an extra $300 million each year at least, and it compounds going forward. And so what we had to do was make some cuts that would work for everyone. So the legislature had it right in March, but then come May, when they dropped us several percentage points, we lost a lot of money. And so that's why I had to balance the budget and make sure we're solid. So we're solid again. And that's what's important. We really want to be responsible. And I didn't want any you know, projects that weren't well described or weren't fully uh, debated to go forward. But we have a ton of work to do and, and people are going to see growth because we're going to do the stadium. We're going to spend a lot of money on education and we're certainly going to make the university and, and our schools whole as we can. I just want to ask when you're deciding to, you know, on some of these projects and these specific uh, allocations and, and deciding to cut that budget, are, are you communicating that with those lawmakers? Because uh, we know that this is a process that they've been going through for the past few months during the legislative process. Uh, if you can explain what those conversations were like for some of the proponents of some of the projects that have been cut, uh, was there an open communication? Was there dialogue with some of these representatives and uh, senators about some of the things that you were thinking through when you had to make these decisions? Uh, to a degree, I have to make the decisions as the executive uh, branch office holder. I have to make those in a way that covers the whole state. So I can't have one-off conversations with each individual uh, in the moment. That's too uh, precarious because everyone always lobbies for their project completely. And I have to look at the whole picture. I will say this though, I do meet with, of course, the, the leadership of the House and Senate. And there are other conversations that I have a little bit more frequently, for example, with the finance chair and the Ways and Means chair. Uh, he and I went out for breakfast. Uh, Donovan Delacruz and I went for breakfast uh, this past weekend had Simon, he had uh, eggs and we talked it out about some of the projects. He told me what other priorities there were in the region. We released actually a $35 million project for the central kitchen. Haven't made a big uh, to do about that, but we released that the same day that some other cuts occurred because on a broader scale, uh, there has to be balanced budget. And also keep in mind, a lot of the decisions that were made on the budget happened in the wee hours of the night. And that wasn't okay with a lot of people. And some of those projects didn't have details going forward in years two, three, four, five. So I have to keep us solid for the future. Look, I made promises to people, the people of Hawaii, to make sure that we focus on housing, homelessness, affordability, education, climate. I did not make any promises about specific projects in certain areas of the state. That has to be vetted throughout the legislature and through its process. I know some people would love to have all their projects funded, but we have to be safe and certain about our future. And that's really what my budget does for us. You know, in those items that you just ticked off, education was the fourth on the list. And there are some people who say that education was not adequately funded this past legislative session. I know that you plan to make some of that up, but certainly not the full amount that uh, some folks have been uh, criticizing uh, right now. What are your thoughts about the funding of education in our state? Will there be enough money to go toward, you know, uh, helping our students? Well, that is a great point. So I did meet with the superintendent and some of his top uh, executives. And I am gonna restore $55 million to the Department of Education budget out of the $200 million fund that was allocated by the legislature because I think that we have to do that. 
And I think that that will be enough for next year. This, remember, is just for the next year. By doing what I'm doing, which is being fully transparent and taking action now, it enables the legislature with a balanced budget to come back in January of 2024 and renew their priorities. Hear from the departments, hear from the schools, hear from the Board of Education what they think we should be spending. This $55 million restores the capital dollars that we need for the key projects, for for example, for our training programs to get kids into the workforce. It's actually a very good move, I think, to have given me the monies to spend on our priorities that they did not fund. I'll be spending $55 million on the DOE, $71 million on the Hawaii Tourism Authority, and $25 million on the university. At least that's my tentative plan right now. That money will help restore the pukas in the budget that people were worried about. There are some other smaller appropriations that I'll fill in and I'll do it happily on your show or in the public. I want people to see completely with absolute clarity and transparency what I'm doing with that money and also that it is filling in some holes that were left in the budget. Sticking with education and you'd mentioned the Board of Education, what prompted you to decide to make some changes uh, you know, to the board itself and, and some, if you can talk through the process uh, specifically when it comes to leadership of, of the Board of Education? Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, I was going to make some changes to key boards. First of all, you should expect that of each governor that comes in. It's my responsibility to set our agenda to support each of the institutions in ways that will get results for us. The people on the BOE, for instance, have done great work, but it is important that I put my um, imprint on what they do. This year, three entities got into, I guess, hot water or didn't do what they needed to ultimately get out of the legislature. So the Board of Education came up, unfortunately, very short with the DOE and the funding. I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying that they did not have, obviously, a great relationship with some of the leadership at the legislature. And that's what happens. Funding doesn't come up to uh, what they'd want. That's why, ultimately, some changes have to occur. It's not like I'm pointing a finger at anybody, but it's no coincidence that the HTA, the BOE, and the Board of Regents are all getting some change in their leadership structure because I can't have these entities be in conflict with the legislature and then see underfunding for our university, our schools, or the tourism efforts that we have to make. I'm fixing those things because they didn't get handled during the legislature. So we're going to have some new leadership. I really do appreciate what the current board uh, chair has done. I offered to keep him on. He made the choice to leave. That's really the situation. So uh, at the end of the day, I had to actually go in and fill in the appropriation because it didn't happen during the session. So people should understand that I'm taking action to support our kids. Honestly, that should not be the news. The personalities of different board members is really a waste of our time. What we should be focusing on, on is do we get enough money to these institutions to actually help our kids? It is unusual, though, for a board chair to sunset early. I mean, do you think that that was an appropriate decision on his part, given what you're, you know, the conflicts that you are pointing out with the legislature this term? Him sunsetting like now, you mean? Mm -hmm. Yes. It's up to him. I don't, you know, I don't begrudge anybody leaving early if that's their choice in life. You know, I always stick with things all the way through. That's all I can say. You know, I think he should have stayed probably to keep his you know, his input going, but that's his choice. That's not mine. I did not ask him to leave. 
I actually just put a new person in because we need some fresh blood that can work well with the appropriators here at the Capitol. That's really necessary. I want to see a lot of resource continue to go to public education. That is a huge deal for me. I don't want to see the legislature and leadership at the Board of Education fighting. That's not helpful. That's not helpful for our kids who are in public school. Another agency that you mentioned, HTA, is also going to be seeing some changes in leadership. And the last time you were on this show, you expressed uh, that you weren't sure that John DeFries would get the support maybe to maintain that role. We ultimately heard yesterday that he decided that he's going to be stepping away. Uh, your thoughts about his decision to move so and, and if you can describe who you would like to see in that position and leading that organization. I appreciate the, uh, the question. So I really appreciate John's work. I think he did good work and I genuinely like him and respect him. I think it was clear though that the HTA had lost the support of the legislature. And so he's going to finish his term up in September, which I think is a respectable way to go. He's going to finish his contract and then they will find a replacement for him. I still have to leave that up to the HTA board. I will tell you that I have two interim uh, board appointments to make, and definitely one of the people is going to be Jimmy Tokioka, who is our DPED director and is a, a supposed to appropriately be a voting member of that board. Uh, otherwise, there's some very good people because others are stepping out. I will announce that probably next week or the following week, but I'll tell you this. We had to make change at HTA because, frankly, it was about to get dissolved completely, and that was a problem. So much so that I had to come over the top to fund the contracts that are meant to go toward management of tourism. That's going to go to uh, CNHA, which is a Hawaiian-based cultural organization that will do a very good job, I hope, in managing tourism. We also had to get our marketing contracts back in place because, as you read, some people are feeling a little softer on returning to Hawaii. And I don't want that to be the case. I want people to continue to love their trips to Hawaii and to make it something that's a part of their lives. So we're changing directions to a degree, but mostly that's because it was kind of a crash and burn scenario at the end of the legislature. It was a coin toss whether the HTA would survive at all. And I had to come in with this, you know, with this $71 million appropriation to make sure we could live up to our commitments. And I'd rather have a more stable situation. John has a lot to offer, and I'm sure he will do that in other organizations. He's always been a friend. You know, you referenced a state survey that came out uh, last week, I believe, talking about that fewer visitors from North America intend to return to Hawaii. You know, that there is overall satisfaction with their experiences here in the islands. However, uh, you know, more visitors are saying that Hawaii is too expensive, that the trip is a poor value. What do you make of those survey results? How do we change those perceptions so that we get repeat visitors? Because historically, we have found that when people return to the islands and they're repeat visitors, they tend to be the kind of guests we want, right? They understand our culture. Uh, they tend to be, you know, more respectful of, of our traditions here. So what do you make of those survey results and how do we turn that around? Well, for one, we have to have the return of our Japanese travelers to Hawaii. It's very important. Some of that's happening anyway. We are starting to see that return occur. And a lot of that's been predicated on the high cost of the dollar. So the yen has been weak and the dollar has been overly strong compared to it. And that's made costs very high. So when that tourism base returns, it helps us a lot. But I think we also have to do other things. We have to make sure our parks are beautiful. We have to make sure that we do things to support our climate and our environment. It's why next year you'll be seeing a big push from me 
to do climate impact fees once again. I also want to characterize one of the cuts we made. It, it was described in the paper that we cut $25 million out of repairing parks. Well, we left $25 million that we can actually spend to repair the parks. So we're not going to short that over time. We think that if we spend money on restorative and regenerative tourism, we'll do well. People should see a beautiful Hawaii. And in general, they do still see a beautiful Hawaii, but sometimes they see homeless individuals near the beach. That's a concern. It's why we're building Kauhale. It's why we're giving people support in that space. But overall, people are going to come to Hawaii. It's not going to be a problem to get travelers here. The problem is going to be, is it just too expensive for everybody to travel? And I think as inflation comes down, you saw the Fed feels that inflation is finally settling down. They didn't increase interest rates again this last week. That helps us in Hawaii. Things are pretty good overall. And I also want to reiterate another point. The, the cuts that we made because the, the um, Council on Revenues decreased our overall number, that was mostly a reflection of the money we paid out in the one-time tax rebate back last year. We really actually had growth still at 2 to 3%. And that was just kind of a, um, a financial amount of bookkeeping. We're expecting big revenues this year. And so I do expect us to have plenty of money to fund all sorts of things in the coming years. I just didn't want us to overspend. Uh, but those are the kind of big picture, I guess, theories that we're working on. I would like us to drill down a little bit more on the Council of Revenues so that we don't see these big swings. The big swings are disconcerting to the legislators. They don't like to see that because, as you saw, they had a balanced budget with a good set of appropriations. And that kind of went up in smoke when things changed two months later. Well, you had mentioned Kahale uh, in that response, and I want to kind of transition and move over to that. Uh, now that the Kahale is up and running uh, right outside your residence there uh, it, near Washington Place and across from Queens Hospital, uh, how, what can you tell us about, you know, these initial first few days and weeks um, and also what the future looks like for future Kahale's, if you can expand on maybe where we can expect to see some of the next sites popping up? Yes. So I love this first Kahale. It is amazing. It's a very intense Kauhale because it provides medical care. This is the first one, to my knowledge, in the nation, a Kauhale that de uh, delivers direct health care services when someone has just been discharged from the hospital. These are individuals who have just gone through serious health care problems and then would be on the street suffering, probably right back into the hospital, uh, if, you, if you want me to be clear about what I've experienced as a doctor in the past. But now people are coming off the street, they're getting rest, and they are doing great. We've had eight people or so on average over at the Kauhale each day out of the 10 beds. And we're already moving towards another Kauhale that'll be more just pure housing focused, likely on Middle Street over towards Sand Island. We need to keep building these. There's also a proposal that will go pretty quickly, I believe, for Hilo. This one will be uh, a restorative Kauhale for people who have had addiction issues and who are coming down off of their drugs. And they'd like that to be larger. There's a pretty big problem on the Big Island with uh, people on, on medications and on illegal drugs that are addicted. We want them to be able to get recovery. So a recovery, Kauhale. Every time we do this, we get less suffering on the streets and we get incredible savings for everyone who is paying taxes. Our Medicaid dollars are coming, our costs are coming down because people who otherwise were struggling going to the hospital have a place to go. So it's really good stuff. We're aggressively moving on this. We're under the, the homeless proclamation, and we're going to stay under that until I get all these Kauhale built. But these are some places. You know, we got one in Waimanalo, Kaleloa. We're going to go to Middle Street. We've got one right opposite Queens. Uh, Nanakuli is on, on deck in the future. 
BISAC on Big Island, and that's in the Hilo side. We're talking about doing a Kauhale over at the state hospital so that people can, instead of going back into the community and becoming homeless when they've had mental health problems, to go into stable housing on the campus, very low impact with some support from nurse practitioners and social workers over at Hawaii State Hospital. So we're doing this aggressively because it's for the good of all. But honestly, it's kind of the most heartfelt work that we ever conceive of, because if you go over there and take a look, people are just doing a lot better. And I welcome volunteers. I know that the, the leadership there, I think, are going to come on your show. Kimo Carvalho is just a star. He's wonderful, wonderful human being. He'll explain some of what we're doing. We had a lot of support from uh, donors. Also, you got to mention uh, Nani Medeiros, who was uh, doing great work with Homemade, and that's where Kimo is now, and James Koshiba. All these people are really leading the charge and then Project Vision stepped up and they're delivering the services. So people should be proud of themselves uh, in Hawaii. This project is going to go national, I believe, over time to deal with homelessness. You know, Nani and James have been on this program and when they describe the different kauhale, they all kind of have a different model. Some like the medical kauhale that you're describing outside of Queens. People are not meant to stay there long term. Others, of course, function more as semi-permanent or even permanent housing. Let's talk about the ones that you had mentioned that are on deck, Middle Street and Hilo. How long would you envision people actually staying in those? Like, What do those actually look like since all of these are a little bit different? Yes, Middle Street will be more like the uh, semi-permanent to permanent housing. And I expect whole communities to leave some of the park areas and go there. People that have already formed a village mentality, a Kauhali mentality to come together. That takes a large part of the urban uh, challenge of homelessness away right away. And that's a great thing. Now, the Kauhali on Big Island, the, the one that I'm describing as a recovery Kauhali, I would expect people to tend to stay more like three months, not forever because you need that le length and breadth of time to come down off of the drugs that you've been on. And so we'll have some extra specialists there, people that are specialized in rehabilitation, people who are specialized in drug treatment, people who are specialized in helping people with trauma. So each Cal Holly, like you said, is different. And that's the beauty of this. We don't ever tell one community what they have to do. We get input uh, from the leadership in each of those regions. and They tell us what they think would be good for them over time. It'll be a yes in my backyard mentality. And I really think that that's a good thing because then we see suffering come down in each community uh, based on what the people want, what people tell us from their community. I want to switch gears here and focus on Red Hill. We had uh, representatives from Earth Justice and Sierra Club on this program on Wednesday, and they still continue to express their concerns about the process in which uh, the Navy is handling things. Uh, they, the Navy, of course, is ahead of schedule saying that they could be doing they're about six months ahead of what was pre previously planned with some of the repair work happening uh, before that actual defueling can actually happen. But there is some concern still that remains about that defueling process. I'm wondering if you can just update us on some of the conversations that you're having with military officials and leadership and any concerns that you may still have that exist about this defueling process uh, and if you believe that things will go according to plan. I do think they'll go according to plan. You know, I, I have to say, I appreciate the fact that we're going to move this timetable up six months. And I believe that that's a reflection of the pressure that we all put on, on the military together and them acknowledging the fact that we don't want to live with this for much longer. Because anytime there's fuel over the water table, that was a risk. Also, we do intend to shut this place down for good. So there's discussion now about filling the pipelines with concrete. 
and to make sure that it can't be used in any way, shape, or form going forward. Uh, those plans will be, of course, described in community meetings and town halls, but I'm glad that it's happening six months sooner. I do think that we still have to make sure all the valves are checked and double-checked and triple-checked so there's no leaks. I wouldn't want to do anything that was dangerous, and I, I'm sure that the Navy doesn't want any more leaks or spills. So it's a good thing. I communicated at 2 or 3 this morning with the Navy and their leadership, Hawaii Standard Time, just to make sure that we got a meeting in and we're able to have some kind of uh, back and forth because I don't want anyone to think that we're not paying attention to it. We formed an additional water commission uh, in the governor's office to get really updates from everybody in a weekly fashion. And we're setting a, uh, aside some time to put in a new dashboard so people can see as we start draining Red Hill that it's going down and it's going down safely. But this is a long-term challenge, water is. Not just what happened at Red Hill, but we have these perpetual chemicals or forever, forever chemicals that are in the environment. And so I'd like to see more wells drilled uh, that will sample water to make sure that we don't have uh, PFOS, which are the, the forever chemicals in our environment. So I'm glad that uh, Sierra Club and others, Earth Justice or Earth, um, call it Earth Justice, yes, forgive me. There was an organization in my college called Earth Lust back in the day, and uh, both are great. Um, but I want them to keep the pressure on all of us, particularly the military, to get this job done. But how often have you seen people get stuff done six months faster than expected in Hawaii? I mean, come on. And how often have we seen little villages go up in seven weeks instead of seven years? So I, I think we're going pretty fast. Uh, at some point, I don't want to burn out our teams, you know. I mean, we can't keep this pace up for four years, I don't think. Uh, I'll try, but I'm not sure we can. You know, I, I actually do have a question on that sort of pace and burnout. When we used to speak to uh, your predecessor, Governor Ige, one of the things he did to decompress was to take runs around the Capitol. You'd see him jogging uh, right outside of Washington Place uh, and even along Alamona Beach Park. What are you doing to kind of keep some balance in your life? I know that this is a 24-7 job. You really don't get any days off, but uh, four years is a long time. And so how are you pacing yourself? I'm not pacing myself. <laughs> End of list. Then, uh, what, what I mean, are you taking any days off? I, I would imagine that that your family wants to see you. How, you know, there has to be some modicum of balance, right? Yeah, we're having a lot of time together. And what I do is I go to a, um, lift weights three times a week now. So I'm trying to add add muscle and be as strong and muscular as Blake Oshiro. So <laughs> I'm doing that, and also, <laughs> and also I'm. Uh, I try to get seven miles in every day on foot one way or another. So I do it. I do admit I take a lot of meetings on the phone while I'm out walking. I tend to go out at 430 in the morning until about 630 uh, before things get heated up because no one's crazy enough to call me at 430 in the morning unless they live in the East Coast. Uh, and I can test you I see the governor almost every weekend walking at Alamoana <laughs> while I'm down there as well. So I can uh, I can vouch for him and, and that, uh, you know, Governor, there seemingly in the past month as well have been uh, some incidents that required medical attention and your assistance uh, when you were in the area. I'm just curious. I mean, there were, were there three incidents over the span of a month. Uh, was this has this always been the case or is this now just becoming exposed because you're a governor? How often do these types of things happen uh, when you're around or in an area? They seem to be happening a little more often. I think it's just because I'm out a lot more. Uh, this, this has been an interesting discussion here at the office. So before I became 
a representative or a senator, I ran across a couple major accidents, actually. On Big Island, there was a tragic car accident that took the lives of four people that I happened to be the first on the scene along the, you know, along the road up towards volcanoes where it was very, very wet. It was an upside down car and tragically four fatalities. I also came upon a car that went off one of the um, small cliffs in Kona side and her car lit on fire and she had a bad fracture of her wrist and I was able to get her out of the car. That was something to behold. Uh, but these latest ones, I think, are just because we're out all the time going to big events. One was on Big Island. We were heading to an energy uh, unveiling, a solar, a solar unveiling, and a guy flew off the road upside down and lived. Great people pulled him out, saved him. I just helped do some of it, you know, as we came out of the car. A person did go into respiratory arrest and had a, a seizure at the Memorial Day ceremony and I was able to get her airway open. So that was good. Jamie was very worried about her and called me off the stage. And then the last one, someone flew out of the back of a pickup truck truck at a roundabout when we were on Kauai and he was unconscious on the road. So we had to carry him off the road and uh, he just had concussion injuries and fractured ribs, I think. But look, everybody's living now, thank goodness. And I guess there was one incident when I was Lieutenant Governor too, where a guy had a terrible scalp injury in a car accident. Uh, but I just really appreciate everyone who is a good Samaritan out there doing certain things. And if you have a skill set, help people out. That's all there really is to it. Uh, it has been a little weird in the last month. Uh, so everyone have a safe Father's Day, please. And, uh, you know, I'm going to try to lay low. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> we'll call the medics if something happens. Well, we are just about out of time. We'd love to give you the opportunity for a final word this morning and wish you an early happy Father's Day as well. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we reduced the budget by a billion dollars because we have to do that constitutionally and be responsible. And this gives us new opportunities next year when we see how our finances are. I'm going to spend almost all that $200 million that the that the legislature gave me on the Department of Education, the university and HTA. We're going to make sure that things are responsible for our state as we keep our priorities in place, our values and the promises we made, which are housing, homelessness, some supportive education and work on the climate. That's what we're really focused on. They gave us a lot of good appropriations at the legislative level. I'm going to make sure that we have a loan forgiveness program for any healthcare worker that wants to come in Hawaii or back to Hawaii if it's our kids. That's going to be a game changer for us. So lots of good things are happening. I just got to say, I appreciate everyone's work, but I'm changing government to the best of my ability, which is to be completely open about what we're doing every day. If you want to know what we're doing, just ask, and I will be clear so that people see these solutions going forward. Not judging anybody, but I am creating some new energy on these boards, these commissions, and in some of our large institutions because people ask me to be proactive and get things done, and that's going to happen. All right, Governor Josh Green joining us this morning. Thanks so much for updating us on all that's happening there at the Hawaii State Capitol, and uh, we look forward to talking to you next month. Thanks so sounds much. Great. Take care. Aloha. Mahalo. Well, Ryan, always so much to talk about and very interesting, you know, right off the top, we asked him about some of the line item vetoes and some big budget cuts that he had to contend with um, and asked him what, if any, were challenging. He said none. He said that these were relatively easy decisions because a lot of these funds really were not ready to be spent. And so it was not difficult to make these choices. Uh, we did ask him about the education funding, which is something that a lot of people are watching closely, feeling that the Board of Education 
education uh, did not get the funds that are necessary from the legislature to really run, you know, our schools in the way they need to be run. He is putting, uh, I believe, $55 million of that $200 million that the legislature had given him as discretionary funding to try to make up some of that money in this first year. And he says he thinks that will be adequate uh, going forward. Yeah, he also talked about some of the changes that are happening with a number of the different boards and leaderships of different organizations, uh, like the Board of Education and the decision to, uh, you know, sort of shake things up and, and reposition people within the board and putting new people in leadership. Uh, and his justification for it really saying that, quite frankly, they didn't get the money that they needed from the legislature. And so uh, he's really looking for opportunities for people who are in that capacity uh, who can do the job saying that they should be able to go to the legislature and get the money and form the relationships that he needs uh, they need in order to get some of the funding for the department like the board of education like hta which we also are seeing a, a change in leadership that will be happening when john defreeze uh, decides to step down uh, in a few months uh, but again a, a lot of shakeup that's happening in some of these boards uh, something that the governor said coming into office that he was going to do yeah, and the Board of Regents there is part of that uh, trifecta, if you will, of the boards that he's changing. Uh, you know, and talking about tourism, you know, he's expressed a lot of confidence in CNHA and taking over that tourism marketing contract um, and talking about how we better position ourselves when it comes to making sure that the visitors that we really want to attract to the islands continue to come here. He said that has a lot to do with making sure that our parks, our beaches, just the experience of Hawaii uh, is what it ought to be. And that also includes addressing the homelessness issue. He spoke a lot about the Kauhale uh, that is now outside of Queens and the success that they're seeing there with that medical respite facility. Uh, and talking about some new Kauhale that are planned, the first two on deck, Middle Street, and then one in Hilo, uh, the one in Middle Street, Street, more of a semi-permanent housing situation, the one in Hilo really de de uh, dedicated to substance abuse issues. Yeah, and we also just briefly heard from him as well about what's happening over at Red Hill, uh, saying that he's confident that things will continue to move forward, uh, happy with the fact that they are ahead of schedule by six months in this repair phase uh, in order to begin that actual defueling process, and also noted that uh, there are conversations about permanently making sure that that does not happen again, noting that there are even talks of putting cement into some of these pipelines to avoid any uh, sort of fuel or anything else being used in that area and permanently shutting down Red Hill from any future use as well. Uh, but always a lot to talk about the governor with the governor. You heard him say uh, he enjoys going on those walks and tries to find different ways. Uh, it is uh, to stay, you know, somewhat in line and grounded. It is not an easy job being governor of the state of Hawaii. A lot being asked of him, including medical attention that we uh, hear from him and have seen him tending to people in need. Uh, but always good to hear from the governor. Yeah, and we will be continuing our, our conversation on the Kauhale concept, uh, as the governor did reference as well, with Kimo Carvalho of Homemade. Uh, he's the new executive director there. They've been very intimately involved in this process. They helped to build the actual physical Kauhale that are outside of Queens. So we're going to be talking to him about what that partnership looks like with the state, what his plans are for that organization. Kimo Carvalho is our guest on Monday, and we hope you join us right back here at 1030. Have a great Father's Day weekend and we'll see you on Monday. Aloha. Have a great weekend.